Swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Got to be honest with you. Coming into this one, I've been better. Tonight's extra innings, we're going to rip that Band-Aid off. What a rough weekend it was for the Seattle Mariners, dropping all three games against the Texas Rangers, three games they really had to have uh, in order to keep pace in the American League West race. And now they find themselves nine and a half back on June 5th of the Texas Rangers, who uh, seem to be very much for real. I don't think there's any doubt about the Rangers anymore being a contender in the American League, certainly in the American League West, as they uh, just bludgeoned the Mariners <laughs> over three games. I don't. We're, we're not going to paint a, a pretty picture, folks. Like I, I don't want to. Uh, you're smarter than that. You you saw what transpired over the weekend. Uh, we're not going to, you know beat around the bush at any point tonight over the next two hours. But, boy, this Mariners team right now, they could really use a jolt. They could really use something that could go their way. And and just looking at how they have have played this season uh, against really good ball clubs, uh, something's going to have to change in that aspect going forward if they want to have a shot at just making the American League wild card uh, in this 2023 season. And now I know you can point to last season and say, well, they were 29 and 39. They were nine games worse than they are right now at this point. And they turned it on in the season's second half. And that's true. That all happened. That very much happened. But uh, this season, the quality of competition in the American League has really ramped up to where it's going to be a a fight every single night for these Mariners, and they're going to need to start punching back. Curtis Rogers with you on Mariners Extra Innings tonight. The text line is there for you, 866-979-3776. That's powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing. We've got a lot coming your way here tonight. Mike Lefko pinch hitting again for Brandon Gustafson, who's still making his way back from Colorado. He vacationed out there, so uh, we'll probably have Brandon later on in the season. But also, we'll talk to Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline. That comes your way at 8 p.m. We'll take a listen to a conversation that Jerry DePoto had with Trident Talk. Jason Churchill, he was on earlier today with Michael Bumpus and myself. We'll take a listen to that conversation, too. But let's get into some three up, three down. And, I mean, after a weekend like that, it's hard to really kind of look at anything in an upward light. Uh, But let's start with the return of Dylan Moore, which is hopefully coming in this Padres series. That's what Jerry DePoto has said all along. He said it last week to Brock and Salk in his weekly interview with them. And look, I, I'm not saying that Dylan Moore is going to be any sort of savior for this ball club. I'm not saying that at all. It, it, that's unfair pressure on Dylan Moore. But what I am saying is that he gives you some some really good options in terms of second base, in terms of third base, shortstop, anywhere in the outfield. This is a guy that can play multiple positions and play them well. And I'm hoping that his return kind of spells uh, some some fewer opportunities for guys like Colton Wong, maybe A.J. Pollock as well, because 
Uh, neither one of those guys has, have delivered to this point in this season. Uh, Dylan Moore, his return should be coming up shortly uh, as he kind of wraps up his rehab stints with Everett and Tacoma. So I, that is something to look forward to in this series against the Padres. That's something to kind of be hopeful for is somebody like Dylan Moore back in this lineup. But what I'm down on right now, one of the first things that I'm down on is is the notable absence of veterans who have been here before. Guys who uh, know what it's like to show up to the ballpark every day and, and put in the work and, and really just kind of get on the same page with everybody. Uh, Carlos Santana, Mitch Hanniger, those are two huge presents uh, in the clubhouse in the 2022 season that are not there right now. Uh, Marco Gonzalez is is not there right now because he's dealing with that forearm strain. Uh, those are guys that that everybody in that 2022 clubhouse kind of look to for guidance. That look to for uh, you know how do we how do we get ourselves out of this rut? How do we you know make something of this season that has not gotten off to a great start? Who who's that guy right now? On the Mariners roster, is it Gino Suarez? It could be. Is it? I don't, you'd hope it'd be guys like Teoscar Hernandez and AJ Pollock, but uh, they have not been able to produce this season. So, at least produce to the expectations that people had for them this season. So that is one thing that I am down on right now, heading into this San Diego Padres series, which begins tomorrow. Uh, at Petco Park against an, an equally, I would say, disappointing team in, in baseball. Uh, the Padres have not gotten off to the start that many of us thought. Speaking of the Padres, I'm up on a guy who has played for the Padres before. He's now a Mariner. He's maybe the Mariners' best reliever when healthy, and that's Andres Munoz. And you look at what Andres Munoz was capable, what he's capable of is being one of the best relievers in all of baseball. Last year, it was basically Edwin Diaz and Ed, and Andres Munoz in terms of like just best relievers in baseball a year ago. 96 strikeouts and just 65 innings pitched. He's only pitched three and a third innings this season, allowing four hits, striking out three. So, you know, what do we, how much of Andres Munoz have we seen this season? Hardly any at all. And if he is able to come back, and, and continue to be the Andres Munoz that he was in the 2022 season. We're talking about a Mariners bullpen that goes, uh, you know, that, that just takes it up another notch. You've seen great performances this season out of Trevor Gott, out of Justin Topa, Taylor Saucedo, uh, you know, guys who you were not expecting to see. But what about the guys you were expecting to see? Paul Seawalt has held it down uh, for the most part this season. And Andres Munoz just hasn't been there. So you know you're getting great performances out of the unexpected in your bullpen. Now it's time to see that from the expected, and that's Andres Munoz. In my mind, first and foremost, I think his addition to this bullpen is going to uh, definitely ratchet things up a little bit. Uh, I'm really excited to see what kind of pitcher he is after all this time away. Hopefully he is back to the Andres Munoz that he was in the 2022 season. Uh, One thing that I am down on is a philosophy that has kind of been gathering momentum across baseball, and that is positional flexibility at the DH spot. Mainly teams, instead of just having one guy be your DH every single day, they kind of leave that spot open to give position players a, a day off from playing in the field and putting a bench bat in uh, in the field at some point, guys who are not regular players getting regular playing time. And I, I got to be honest, I'm down on positional flexibility at the DH spot. 
I look at the Mariners right now and, and the guy that they targeted this last offseason to kind of be in that role of giving guys a day off in the in the outfield uh, and also getting some DH at bats is A.J. Pollock, and, and he has not been uh, great on really either side of the ball this season. Meanwhile, I look at two targets that the Mariners could have gone after this offseason, and maybe they did, maybe they didn't, who knows. But they signed for similar dollar figures. They're the exact same age that A.J. Pollock is. I look at Brandon Belt with the Toronto Blue Jays, whose OPS is near 800. I believe it's at 794 entering Monday. And then I'm looking at J.D. Martinez, whose OPS is over 900. Brandon Belt signed for, I believe it was $9.4 million. J.D. Martinez signed for $10 million. A.J. Pollock signed for $8 million. So they're all kind of right around the same dollar amount. And yet, here we are with A.J. Pollock OPSing below 600, And meanwhile, those two guys are contributing in a big way for their respective ball clubs. Uh, positional flexibility of the D.H. spot, I get that there are not as many elite guys who can play the D.H. position every single day. And, and, and guys like Nelson Cruz, historically, you know, David Ortiz, Edgar Martinez, I, those guys are the outliers for sure because they have been incredible at what they do. But uh, to me, I think that it is best served to have a a great bat in a spot that is meant for having a great bat. Like you are are almost punting that free gift from the baseball gods of having a batter instead of a pitcher in the spot you know designated for hitting. Uh, uh, let's let's get to the final things that I'm up and down on. I'm I'm actually up. On facing the San Diego Padres, I, I know, I know, I know. You're just kind of like, well, how could you be up on anything after that Mariners series against the Rangers? Well, I mean, look, this Padres team is probably the biggest disappointment in baseball right now at 27 and 32. They're fourth place in the National League West, according to Baseball Reference, have a 34.5 percent chance to make the postseason, a half percent chance to win the World Series. And they had such huge expectations coming into the year, especially after signing Xander Bogarts, uh, bringing back you know Juan Soto, Manny Machado, getting a like most of a full season from Fernando Tatis Jr. Like this team was destined for the postseason. This team was destined for uh, challenging for a National League pennant. And they just have not been that. This season, you look at their starting rotation, you Darvish, an ERA over four, Blake Snell, an ERA over four, Joe Musgrove, an ERA near five, Ryan Weathers, an ERA over five. Like they just have not been particularly good on that side of the ball. And then you look at their offense. I mean, Manny Machado has been producing less than guys like Teoscar Hernandez this season. He's got an OPS at just 628. And I wonder just how much. The pitch clock has kind of influenced a lot of these guys who are, are you know, historically great hitters like Manny Machado, uh, Nolan Arenado. I know has had a, a better go of it as of late, but he's still not hitting like the Nolan Arenado that we've all come to to recognize across Major League Baseball. Uh, but this Padres team has really, really underperformed. Jake Cronenworth only hitting two hundred. Ha Sung Kim, only, you know, 244. Uh, Juan Soto is actually back to kind of where Juan Soto historically has been. The batting average may be a little low at 253, but the on base, 420. Slugging percentage, 480 and OPS right at 900, uh, 899. 
So there is opportunity, you know, for him to get going. Obviously, having a guy like Juan Soto getting on base at a 420 clip, that's pretty impressive. But uh, right now, this Padres team has really, really missed expectations so far to start this season. So I'm wondering if that's an opportunity for the Mariners. And the final thing that I'm down on is catching the Texas Rangers. They are just a a wagon as as we like to say in the hockey world this Texas Rangers team is a wagon they their offense is amazing their pitching staff is amazing they don't even have Jacob DeGrom back and yet their starting rotation is is just phenomenal uh look I think the Rangers are for real and it stinks that the Mariners uh felt the brunt force of that over this weekend but Look, it served as a reminder. Like the Mariners aren't the only team trying to win after being down for a number of years. The Texas Rangers are, you know, every ball, every ball club has a competitive front office. I know you're not seeing it from the Oakland A's, but at the end of the day, these guys want to win. And the Rangers getting tired of losing, uh, they have really changed the trajectory of that franchise uh, over the course of the last couple off seasons. And uh, they are a force right now in that American League West race. When we return on Extra Innings, Mike Lefko, fellow pre- and post-game show host, he was on post-game duties yesterday. We'll get his thoughts on this past Texas Rangers series. Look ahead to the Padres series, which begins tomorrow. That's coming your way right after the break on Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Curtis Rogers with you, and I'm joined now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. My fellow Mariners pre- and post-game show host, Mike Lefko. And Mike, I'm going to take all of us behind the scenes because with a game like yesterday, and really with a series like like this one against Texas, uh, there is a unique art to putting together a post-game show uh, after a game like yesterday. I know how you felt going into it. Uh, how you got to take the listener though through sort of your creative process in, in approaching a game like yesterday, where uh, nothing went the Mariners' way. Oh, is there a creative process? I may, you maybe might have more, you might have more insight than me. I just <laughs> uh, you just grin and get through it, right? You, you talk about what happened, and you, Curtis, you know what you do. You skew heavily to promoting what's next, yeah. and that's what we did. That's what I did. I said, hey, you know what. This is a, a Ranger series. It's the bottoming out point for the Mariners. Well, hopefully it doesn't get worse. But, yeah, it's a 30-9 it's a series loss. So a lot of focus on the Padres. So that's what I talked about. You made, you made a great comparison on, on Twitter yesterday, uh, just how in 2021 the series against the Padres that where it didn't go the Mariners' way at all uh, was kind of the low point of that season where after that they kind of turned it on and ended up winning 90 ball games last year uh, I would say 29 39 was the low point and then this year you mentioned it the the Rangers with a 30 to 9 run differential uh, against the Mariners in that series I mean what is it right now about this ball club where it just in these games against the Rangers and Yankees just the only win to show for is that one nothing ball game against George Kirby uh, what is this team missing when they go up against those those teams that I feel like are, are a pretty safe bet to make the postseason. Well, first of all, Curtis, uh, if we're talking about potential turnarounds, I did have to look, and it might not be great news because uh, after that 2021 series against the Padres, and then last year, too, when they dropped 10 games below 500, uh, guess what was on deck next? The A's. And so mm. the Mariners were able to rattle off some win streaks, you know, 7 of 8 in 2021 and then 8 of 10. 
Well, the A's aren't coming up next. And yeah, back to your, your actual questions. I, I just wanted to fit that in there. But yeah, the, the big issue, and I think it was, uh, it was a glaring contrast over the weekend, was just strikeouts. You know, putting the ball in play, getting on base. The Rangers' offense is so potent and powerful. The Mariners' strikeout rate, it's glaring as a team, as a few individuals. And when you compare the Rangers' top bats and their top of the order, you have guys who you saw in Marcus Simeon, who uh, leads all of baseball in war, who has that 23-game hit streak. Corey Seager, who had the huge home run yesterday. Adelise Garcia, who is tied for the MLB lead and runs driven in. And Josh Young, who is doing pretty much everything right as a first baseman or a third baseman in the American League. So he's leading third baseman in pretty much all categories. And then the Mariners, they have struggled in that middle of the order. Their big bats are the ones who are high in strikeouts, the four in the top ten, uh, their strikeout rate. So here's what, uh, here's what I kind of found was a big contrast. And this, unfortunately, Curtis was helped out by uh, the Rangers pre- and post-game host and play-by-play broadcaster Jared Sandler, who's been on our airwaves a lot and been on the Mariners pregame shows a lot. He kept tweeting out all these good stats about the Rangers offense. So for comparison, I said, well, hmm, how do the Mariners rank? And the Rangers who are among the best in two strike hitting and two out hitting. Well, the Mariners are the third worst team striking out when they have two outs. Only the A's and Rangers or only the A's and Royals have a worse strikeout rate than the Mariners when batting with two outs. So look at that just yesterday and the huge contrast of that first inning. Mariners couldn't get out of it. Conversely, they stranded a couple guys and then it was out of hand. And yeah, I mean, we've talked about it, right? The, the strikeouts, it's a glaring issue. It really is because uh, I don't know if you saw, but the Texas Rangers TV broadcast yesterday showed a graphic of yeah. the top five strikeout leaders in the American <laughs> League. Four of them wear the same uniform, and I'll, I'll give you one guess as to what uniform they wear. It's the one with the uh, blue and teal S uh, on the uh, on the hat. So uh, that's not good for the Mariners, if, especially uh, considering the rate that they've been striking out at. Mike Lefko, fellow Mariners pre- and post-game show host, joining us here on Extra Innings. And Mike... Uh, I mean, boy, I still just can't get over <laughs> this series and just how one-sided it was. Uh, let's get to the young pitching that we saw this weekend. Brian Wu making his debut. That didn't go so great. And then Bryce Miller, a second straight start where he has not had it working the way he did over the first month. I mean, I can't imagine how much pressure is on these two guys right now to just deliver because I spoke with – or. Spoiler alert, I'm speaking with Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline coming up later on Extra Innings. He mentioned that Brian Wu has less, or he has like 100 minor league innings to his name mm-hmm. uh, over the course of his career. So is it just inexperience for these guys? What, what, do you, what do you see from them? Yeah, I can't really fathom what Wu was going through. I think you chalk that up to, to nerves and experience, the fact that this is a really good lineup that he was facing. So thrown into that cauldron. I mean, that's tough. You know, you're just trying to come out there and throw strikes, right? Not completely collapse and walk a lot of guys. And so you, you throw strikes to a really good top of the order, they take advantage. Now with Miller, you know, we have pointed out that the high fastball usage everyone has, and eventually it was going to catch up to him. He was going to have to make adjustments. So you get to experience lineups like the Yankees, like the Rangers. That plays a factor. I also think, and, you know, this is just, basic observation and my opinion here, but it definitely looked like in that first inning that Miller was aware of what happened to Brian Wu the day before with what the Rangers did to him with the big innings they picked up because that was an uncharacteristic two-walk inning. You know, Bryce Miller had come in and in every single start prior, three total walks 
in his entire MLB outings so far. So to come in there and, and have those, those two walks in the first inning, it certainly looked like he was more aware and trying to be a little more precise. And then that led to the walks. And then he mentioned yesterday after the game that he just couldn't get out of the two-strike counts. And that becomes such an aggravating factor. I'm sure it wears on you mentally when you're so close to getting a guy. You lose a battle like that. You have to come reset. And it, it never ceases. I mean, it's an unrelenting Rangers offense. They were 8 for 21 in two-strike counts yesterday. So I imagine that just that kind of puts a, a wearing on a guy. And so, yeah, for Miller, it just feels like, okay, he came on a scene with such an incredible fastball. Now it's going to be back to developing those secondary pitches and finding confidence in using your secondary stuff. Mike, a talking point uh, across Mariners fandom this season has been the positional flexibility and, and the DH spot, and, and do you go after a guy that is just strictly a hitter and and not worry about you know giving guys in the field a day off, a night off, what have you, or you know should they have gone out and got a guy who just hits? Uh, because you look at guys like Brandon Belt and J.D. Martinez right now, both of them OPSing over 800. In fact, J.D. Martinez over 900. Uh, and, and just kind of those classic DH types, whereas the Mariners have struggled in that spot more than any team in, in baseball this season. Where do you fall on that side of the debate? Are you somebody that wants positional flexibility, or is this you know maybe something that the Mariners kind of overthought this past offseason? Well, you can see, uh, well, in hindsight, obviously, and right now sitting where they are and coming off that series, certainly it looks like you just need a bat. You know, bring them in there have him camp out in the DH spot and let him hit. You can certainly see that it's an approach that if everything has been working, it works well. I mean, a big problem, too, is just it is fundamentally throughout the lineup right now that everyone's pretty much struggling. And the guys that you expected to produce aren't producing maybe as much as you expected. And then the newcomers aren't producing like you expected. So when you take all that into account, certainly uh, that would help. And it also, I mean, exacerbated by the fact that the Rangers have everything clicking. So, yeah, it, it certainly could have helped. I think one big bat at this point might not have been enough, just the state of where the Mariners are. So good news, bad news in the sense that you don't assume that every single player on this team will continue to struggle like they are. I, that's just you know, conjecture. But when you look back and where the Mariners are right now and with the teams in front of them doing what they do, and the, the Astros have a pretty good primary DH, essentially, in uh, Jordan Alvarez. I know he's out there in the field a couple times. But with that, with the Rangers in front of them, yeah, it, uh, it looks like it could have certainly helped. <laughs> Mike, uh, last one from me here. You mentioned on yesterday's postgame show you spent a lot of time looking ahead. What are you looking ahead for in this Padres series? Because the Padres, I feel like, have been even more of a disappointment than the Mariners have this season. I mean, obviously, they spent and spent and spent and spent and spent and have gotten nothing in return uh, this season. They're, what, five games below five hundred. Uh, what are you expecting in this series between two teams that can desperately need a win here? Yeah, the Padres are such an interesting story because they have so much star power, and they can – Put up runs in bunches. They can mash the ball, but then they struggle to hit consistently as well. Uh, two of the worst hitting teams by average in baseball are the Mariners and the Padres. Mariners have the first, uh, the fourth worst batting average. The Padres have the second worst. So it's just offensive consistency, and I think both those teams could desperately use it. Uh, you're going to see good pitching from both sides. Joe Musgrove's going tomorrow, and he's had a weird start to his season because he was injured. You know, he dropped a 
kettlebell on his toe <laughs> at the end of February. <laughs> Moral of that story, you know, don't work out, I guess. But, no, so Musgrove's <laughs> going to start off the series for the Padres, and then they have Michael Walker. Uh, that's a good one-two punch there. Um, so for the Mariners, just that offensive consistency, right? Scott Service talked about it. We've seen it, Curtis, that they can look so good one game. They can put up runs in bunches. They can put up six runs against the Pirates' best starter and then be nowhere against the Rangers. Um, so, yeah, get, get that offensive consistency. I think an early lead would be massive for this team, and not just a one nothing lead like they got out to against the Rangers the other day. But you put up a couple of runs with the pitching that the Mariners still have, and, yeah, we didn't talk about it because the offense is the issue, but the pitching will win you games, and that's the reason why the Mariners are a game under 500 instead of you know four or five games under 500 right now. So get out to an early lead and let the pitching do what it does best. He is Mike Lefko, fellow pre- and post-game show host on the Mariners Radio Network. You can also tune into him every single day from 2 to 7 p.m. on Wyman and Bob. Mike, really appreciate you stopping by, and uh, I'll see you around the office. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's hope uh, better luck than when we did this on Thursday. Make sure you're downloading the Wyman and Bob podcast as well as all of our podcasts here at Seattle Sports at seattlesports.com and on the Seattle Sports app. Coming up at 8 o'clock, Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline. He'll stop by. We'll talk some MLB drafts, some prospects Mariners fans might want to take uh, attention to here as we enter the final weeks of the college baseball season. Also, we'll hear Jerry DePoto's conversation with Trident Talk. That's coming your way at around 8.15 tonight. But up next, Shannon Dreher, our Mariners insider, she stopped by Brock and Salk to diagnose what has ailed this Mariners team as of late. We take a listen to that conversation right around the break. This is Extra Innings on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. A weekend you'd like to flush if you're the Mariners. What was it like being in Texas for this tough, tough series against the Rangers that saw the Mariners on the losing end all three times rather convincingly? Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider here at Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network, she joined Brock and Salk earlier today to give her first-hand account of what she saw over the weekend in Arlington and also diagnosing what the biggest problem is right now with this Mariners ball club. The biggest problem is the offense. Uh, you know, it, it was painful to see what's happened with the pitching, and you keep an eye on that, the starting pitching. I think the bullpen is absolutely going to be fine. Uh, and, and there are some concerns with the starting pitching if you are going forward with that young of a rotation. But the biggest problem is the offense. They have failed to get traction of any sort. Uh, you've had individual struggles. You've had hitting philosophy struggles. You have had complete uh, lineup and hitting together as a team struggles. The acquisitions that were brought in are not helping the situation at all. Uh, you've got to score runs to win ball games, and the pitching has given you every opportunity to win ball games. And it's been the offensive side that has come up short. And uh, it's plain and simple. You could go into a billion numbers. All right. So why? So so so. All right. We all know it's the offense. Why? Why is the offense so bad? Well, the strikeout is a big part of it, although I will point to it. And there was a graphic that went around quite a bit over on Sunday about the number of strikeouts uh, for four ninths of your rotation has, which is not good. But, you know, just to point out, you can live with the strikeouts if you also have the slugging percentage. And the problem is with Teoscar Hernandez, with Eugenio Suarez, you don't have the slug. You just have the strikeouts. 
I mean, if you look at those numbers, Aaron Judge is among the top strikeout, uh, has one of the highest strikeout percentages in the game. Uh, Julio Rodriguez and, or Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez and Mike Trout have the same strikeout percentage, and it's high. You, you, there is a trade off there, but the problem is, is you've got empty strikeouts mm-hmm. in, in two huge parts of the lineup, Suarez and, and Hernandez. In particular, Jared Kelnick has struck out a lot more in May than he did in April, but he's still maintaining a decent WRC plus. He's still getting on base. And so, you know, that, that's kind of one way to look at it. But the biggest thing in, in what you hear is that they are not following the philosophy of dominate the zone. And that doesn't mean sit back and try and take walks. That means don't miss the pitches you can handle and do damage with. They're missing the pitches that they can handle and do damage with, and then they're getting into a cycle, many of them, of swinging at pitches they have no doubt, no no business swinging at whatsoever. Uh, so you've got a problem, and you've got guys that you know have done it before, and they're not getting it done right now. And some of the most you know absolutely frustrating things to see is sometimes you'll see hitters that are so lost right now that they're staring at pitches right down the middle. They are, you know, individual struggles are having a huge impact on this team, and that, of course, affects what they can do as a group. And what we saw what a lineup can do as a group is what we saw when the Yankees were here. And that Yankees lineup looked nothing like most of the Yankees lineups that we have seen throughout the years, but they were able to do very similar damage. I'm not talking take Judge out of that. They still had good approaches at the plate. They still had a good plan and they were still able to do enough damage to get by uh, some good Mariners pitching. Shannon, is this controlled his own philosophy sustainable? I think it's something that you probably have to look at. I mean, I think everything is on the table right now. When you have this much of a failure across the boards with the offense, you have to look at everything. Was it who you brought in? Was it the philosophy? Was it the messaging? Was it getting the messaging to the players? You have to figure out what it is. You know, and another thing that's kind of snuck into my mind of late, and it's on both sides of the ball, is a few weeks ago, Scott Service, I think we were in Oakland, said, you know, there were frustrations with what the offense was doing. And he said, you know, this we are far too easy to pitch to right now. And, and I don't think they've taken many steps from that. I think there have been a couple of times when they've, they've come out of that a little bit, but on a consistent basis, I think they're still pretty easy to pitch to. And I think you do see starters come in, and all of a sudden you see some usages flipped a little bit. You do start seeing a little bit more of the sliders and the breaking balls than they normally throw, and I think it's been effective for them. You know, And if the other teams know how to get you out, you need to know how to make the adjustment. And there has been frustration that you haven't seen the adjustments. I think one of the words that two words together that have continued to jump out to me are consistency and focus. And you know, I hear you talking about the Yankees, and I agree with you. A, a lineup that, in theory, other than than Judge, really is somewhat inferior to what the Mariners are running out there. Looked that much better and put up that many runs because of its consistency, its focus, and its its uh, dedication to its plan. Why is this Mariner team struggling with consistency and focus? Well, yeah, I think when you see those wild swings, uh, you know, at the sliders in the dirt or, or well out of the zone, I, I do think you can point to focus on that. You know, you're out of your plan if you're doing that, and there is an element of focus that is with that. Some of it is, I think, they're young hitters. And I think some of it also is is your philosophy in the offseason was to go out and to get players, one-year players, not big commitments. And I think that sometimes there's a lot of pressure on that player. 
And I think that that can play into it and that can, you know, hurt the focus when you step up at the plate. If you mm-hmm. are in that contact or contract year and things aren't going well, things can spiral pretty quickly in that situation. And some of it's the players that they went after that are kind of prone to the strikeout, whether it be Teoscar Hernandez or Eugenio Suarez, who was a throw and they had to take, you know, take him. He was not somebody that they were targeting, but, you know, maybe he comes into this year and feels the pressure of repeating what he did yet last year. And right now, unfortunately, at the plate, you're seeing more of the Cincinnati Reds Suarez than you saw the Seattle Mariners Suarez last year. Still playing great defense, which is something new for him. That certainly is Mariner. But what he's doing at the plate, you know, is that pressure. And that goes to focus as well. And, you know, so the fact that you have so many individuals along those lines doing that, that's, you know, it only snowballs on itself. One thing that I saw that I really kind of liked, and I, we were, I was in Clubhouse briefly last night. I'm not able to do that after most games because I'm doing a post-game show. And you did see some signs of, um, you know, there were some frustration. I saw Ryan Divish, uh, you know, wrote on Saturday. There was frustration in the Clubhouse Saturday night, and, and Suarez yelled something. And I was not in the corner of the Clubhouse where it happened, but Cal Raleigh talked to Corey Brock. Um, one-on-one and he, he said they kicked our butts you know we have to be better in in the counts that we're getting into we didn't hit we didn't run the bases smartly we didn't play good baseball you know Cal came out with it and you don't and you haven't heard that kind of thing in a long time he said we're not pitching well we're not hitting well we're not running the bases well it's something that we need to address and fix before it's too late. And he said, we came in here and played three terrible games in a row and I'm pissed. Mm. You know, that's, you don't hear that nearly as often as you did say five, 10 years ago. You know, it's, it's always, well, we're sticking with our process. And as long as we're with the process, it's going to be good. Or you don't hear players that are going to say something negative. What Cal Raleigh said last night is something that you would have heard in those clubhouses 10 years ago. And that's what you need. You need to know that there is somebody in that clubhouse who's looking around and, you know, I don't care if I did everything right, process right, you know, everything right, process wise. This is the result, and this is where we are. So it was good to hear that that actually was in the clubhouse and in one corner at least. And you hope that that is something that they are talking about behind the scenes because they are in a bad spot right now. They do need to come together. And Raleigh is a guy who admittedly has, you know, taken those steps over the weekend. You know, he had the big hit on Friday night. He shortened up to do that. You know, he sacrificed himself, and I'm not going to go take a big swing. And I might look a little silly choking up on the bat right here, but I, we don't need a home run right here. We need to put the ball in play. And he did that. And, you know, you're hoping that you see more of that rather than I've got to get out of the slump or I've got to hit the home run or I've got to be the guy in this situation. You know, every person can only do so much, and that's what we saw a little bit more with that Yankees lineup. For more of Shannon's content, make sure you're reading her every single day at seattlesports.com. She also makes a weekly appearance on The Dugout, which comes your way tomorrow. It comes your way every Tuesday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. with Bump and Stacy. I'll be filling in for Stacy Ross tomorrow on The Dugout. We'll have Manny Acta, Mariners bench coach, stopping by at 1 p.m. We'll also have Aaron Goldsmith on at 1.30, and then Shannon Dreher, as she does each and every week. She will join the show at 1.45 for an update on this Mariners ball club as they head to San Diego. Actually, they're obviously in San Diego right now, but they take on the Padres for a two-game series, two teams that are desperate for wins right now, especially considering how the preseason expectations for both these ball clubs were 
through the roof in a lot of cases. The Padres, maybe even more so than the Mariners, uh, really needing a, a win, which is hard to believe considering the Mariners coming off a series like they did against the Rangers. But uh, a, both teams very desperate for a couple of wins, a couple of victories. Mariners needing to flush this series against the Texas Rangers. So, yeah, that comes your way tomorrow. The dugout from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. hosted by Michael Bumpus and myself. When we return on Mariners Extra Innings at 8 p.m., Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline, he'll join the show to talk some draft prospects. Also... In the hour, also in hour two, Jerry DePoto stopped by Trident Talk to give the lowdown on where this organization is prior to yesterday's ball game. But up next, Gary Hill of the Mariners Radio Network sat down with a legend of the Mariners. That'd be John Olrood, first baseman on that famed 2001 ball club, former all-star with this ball club, hit for the cycle with the Mariners. We'll take a listen to that conversation coming your way next here on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. You can catch Trident Talk prior to every Sunday Mariners pregame show in this week's edition. Gary Hill sat down with Mariners legend John Olrood as they detail his time with the 2001 Mariners. And also, John Olerud answers the question of, did Ricky Henderson forget about John Olerud the times they played together in Toronto and New York prior to playing together in Seattle? Stick around for his answer. When you think about your time in a Mariners uniform, like, yeah. what are your great memories from being a Seattle Mariner? Boy, good question. I, you know, it was such a great experience. I mean, you never... You never uh, think that you might have a chance to come play in your hometown. You know, uh, I mean, there's just so many things that have to work out uh, for you to get to your hometown. And so I was super fortunate to be able to play here. And I remember just uh, all the the good guys that we had on, on the clubs. Uh, you know, uh, Jay Buhner, Edgar Martinez, Dan Wilson, Tom Lampkin, Mark McLemore, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Just good quality people, fun guys to be around. Uh, the chemistry was just great. I, I think that's the thing you you miss most about uh, being done playing is just the characters that you got to know and the personalities. And, you know, spending that kind of time with uh, uh, those guys day in and day out, uh, it's uh, really special. You'd been a big leaguer with the Blue Jays, for the mm-hmm. Mets, for a long time. What was different about playing at home? Yeah, I, I would say it just the familiarity of being at home. <laughs> you know, uh, and there's definitely, you know, family and friends, you know, that uh, you run into more being at home. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just uh, it, it was a great experience. Yeah. Teams are great on the field as well. What do you remember about the 2001 run? I, the thing I remember about the 2001 run was just how, you know, we were in a little bit of shock as far as how well we were doing and how we were winning because it was just such an unusual year. Because every year you go through peaks and valleys and, you know, you have good stretches and you have hard stretches and it's a long season and there's part of that telling yourself, all right, you know, you know, we're struggling right now, but hey, we'll get through this. So let's just keep working hard. We'll get through it. And when things are going good, hey, let's keep going because we don't know when this is going to end. And it just felt like we got off to a great start. Um, 
And it was just, let's just keep it going. Let's just keep it going. Let's not mess this up. Let's keep, uh, let's, let's stay hot. And, and uh, it was just amazing how we did. The All-Star Game, of course, is coming here this summer. You were a part of the last All-Star Game here in that yeah. season in 2001. What are your memories of that All-Star Game here in Seattle? I just remember how excited everybody was. I remember how excited I was to be a part of it. Uh, you know, I'd only been a part of one All-Star Game up till that point, um, and and that's typically because there were just so many good first basemen and power-hitting first basemen, and I wasn't a power-hitting first baseman, so... Uh, you know, I have to thank Ichiro for being on the team that year because uh, he definitely got a lot of votes for his teammates because we had all of Japan voting for us as well. But, uh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, it's amazing. You know, eight different Mariners on the team. Right. Lou was there. It was in Seattle. It really felt like a, a celebration of Seattle. In that yeah. Game. Yeah. No, and I, I, I think we had pretty much the whole starting lineup in the running for being in the starting, you know, because we had so many, uh, so many votes coming in and, and um, so many people watching us play because we were having such a great year. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was neat. Now you mentioned you weren't a power hitter, but you were a great hitter. Your 1993 is a mm. remarkable season. It's amazing to look back over 200 hits over a hundred walks, 473 on base percentage, over 50 doubles. It was incredible. How do you describe that year? Yeah, you know, in the same way that 2001 for the team was such a great year and unusual, and we just didn't, you know, we, it was so unexpected uh, that that 1993 year was that unexpected as well. And I just got in spring training, I just got into some really good mechanics was able to get to the inside pitch really well and was just seeing the ball awfully well and got off to a good start and that same kind of thing where, hey, you know, let's keep it going. Come take batting practice. Yep, it's still there. I'm good. Let's, you know, and, uh, you know, I think the first three weeks of the season I was hitting over 400 and at that point people are asking me, hey, should we give Ted Williams a call? <laughs> And it's like, I, you know, I've never hit 300 before. You know, I'm not even thinking about 400. I just want to keep this going as long as possible. And uh, and it just stayed with me. I, I kept going. And uh, and then that, that was an unbelievable team as well, to be a part of that team. Uh, have a lot of people around you that could hit and score runs. So uh, so that definitely helped, too, that, it, that I wasn't the only guy that people were worried about. How difficult was it as you were getting the questions about 400 to try and maintain what was going on? Did, did you feel the, the pressure of it? Well, I never, you know, I never really let myself think that I could hit 400. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was, I'm going to keep this hot streak going as long as I can. And so, you know, they, they would talk and, uh, you know, every time I'd come to a new ballpark, they would want to talk to the guy that's hitting 400. So... <laughs> So then, you know, the PR people are saying, hey, do you want to have a press conference? And I'm like, me? Have a press conference? No, that seems pretty arrogant, you know, I, I felt like. And so I would, you know, you know, just try to do the regular. And it wasn't until, you know, after the All-Star break, you know, that it started, yeah, you know, maybe we better start having a, a press conference and that kind of thing. But uh, no, you know, I would say that, 
there's more pressure when you're struggling mm. than when you're red hot. I mean, when you're red hot, you you know, you feel like you're going to, if you're not going to get a hit, you're going to hit the ball hard mm-hmm. every time up. And there's a confidence in that. And so the pressure of doing the interviews, yeah, you know, there's more work that you have to do before the game. But when you're struggling and you're stinking up the place and you can't figure out how to hit the batting practice pitcher and, uh, you know, that's that's real pressure. Then you're putting extra time in the cage, extra time trying to figure it out. There's a lot more stress there. So, Yeah. How much did your time at Washington State help mold the player that you became? Yeah. I, you know, I was super fortunate to be able to go to Washington State and play for Coach Bobo Brayton. Uh, I think he was a, a great teacher and, uh, you know, just a great, um, you know, taught us work ethic, competing, and and then to be with a lot of great players too. It was just a great environment for me. So I think that that was super helpful in getting ready. Uh, you know, down the road, he definitely prepared prepared us. We're in the Otani era, of course, which is something you excelled at in college. Is that something that, if you were playing in today's era, is that something do you think you would have done? Would you have been able to hit and pitch at the same time at this level? You know, uh, I don't think so. I don't think I had, you know, I, I mean, the the thing that's different about Otani is that he throws 95 and he's got great pitches. He's a great pitcher. And then he's got home run power. Mm-hmm. He's a great hitter. You know, I and, and so – people can get excited about a home run hitter and people can get excited about a strikeout pitcher. And I was not, uh, you know, I would get people out, but, you know, I did, really didn't have, uh, you know, some of the pitches that everybody would get excited about. You know, if I was going to be a pitcher, I think I would have to really work at it and would have to be somebody that would set people up and, you know, have to locate awfully well. And And I just think that I had a much better chance of being a hitter than being a pitcher and I did go to instructional ball and they did let me pitch and, you know, take a look at me, but, um, they were mainly interested in me as a, as a hitter. Well, I think you made the right choice. You're one of the greatest hitters we've ever seen. When you look back on everything you accomplished and it was a lot in this game, what are you most Mm -hmm. proud of? I I would say probably the, uh, 1993 year that I just, I, I had the best year. That was kind of the year that I compared all years to, was the 1993 year and you know to have a great year like that and uh, be able to win the world series you know that was just a super special year for me now i know you get this question a lot you were teammates with ricky henderson of course (laughs) you know you know the story is is the story true is what i'm asking yeah uh no the story is not true but it's a great story and it's and and it doesn't matter how often i say it's not true it just has a life of its own it's a great story uh and really the the person that came up with this story was the uh, assistant trainer for the new york mets Mm. he was had a great sense of humor super dry sense of humor scotty lawrence and and uh he would uh keep everybody loose by you know if he saw a picture in the paper that looked like somebody he'd cut it out and make up a story you know so and so was seen on the off day you know doing this or he was just really good at that kind of stuff so it was always fun to go into the uh training room and see if anybody was on the bulletin board 
But yeah, he came up with the story because, you know, Ricky was known for uh, not always knowing people's names very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so he came up with that story and it just kind of had a life of its own. Uh, you know, took a, I, Dave Niehaus came up to me during batting practice and asked me if there was any truth to it as he's chuckling, telling the story. And I go, that's a good story. No, it's not true. <laughs> Thinking that I, that was going to be the end of it. But it, like I said, it's just had a life of its own. And, you know, I'll have people come up that aren't baseball fans mm-hmm. and they'll say, can I ask you a question? My neighbor is a big baseball fan and he wanted me to ask you this. And uh, it's the Ricky Henderson story. So it, you know, I still get asked that question. Yeah. You just did. And yeah. I just did, yeah. <laughs> On the other side of the break, Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline and MLB.com. He answers some draft questions I've got for him. That conversation comes your way right after the break here on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network.